Hi, everybody. I am Jeff. Some of you, uh, it's been a while since I've spoken, so I'm going to share a little bit about myself. I am Jeff. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Hillary, for over 26 years. We have lived, yay! We have lived in Helena for mm, almost 22 years. Uh, This was the first church that we visited when we moved here from the Midwest, and we just kind of stayed. We we really liked it. Um, I have six kids. They range from ages 24 to 5. Um, one thing, interesting thing about me is that I journal every day. And part of my journaling process is I take a photo just as a memory for myself. So I, I just wanted to do that quick here. Uh, there. Okay. Were you taking a selfie? Or... No, it was of you guys. <laughs> I like that, Jay. He, he said, are you taking a selfie? So uh, in the past... I have one issue that I have addressed from this stage here is about the American church and the hemorrhaging of young people leaving the church. In the American church, statistically, over 70% of teenagers who grew up in the church and regularly attended stopped going altogether. Why are young adults leaving the church in America? Well, there are a number of factors, but I, for the sake of time, I want to boil it down to two reasons, two big reasons. The first reason, the Bible is not authoritative for my life. The number one intellectual reason that young people who grew up in the church give as to why they walk away from the faith is that they no longer believe that it's true. It's not reliable, and it can't be trusted. And there are usually reasons paired with this. Some of them are intellectual, but others, a lot of them are emotional or uh, things from their past. They're experiencing things. Maybe they were hurt down or let, let down by someone in the faith. They were let down by God, they feel like, and they want to, or they maybe want to choose to feel like they have some independence. And they've intellectually come to the conclusion that the Bible cannot be the word of God. Now, I'm not going to get into more of this. Uh, last summer, I spoke a three-week ser- uh, series on this. If you want to know more about this, you can go to mounthelena.org, our website, and look in the message archives. But the second reason is the Bible is not relevant to my life. In the American church and in my experience with young people, this is the bigger reason of the two. It's been my own observation. According to a recent LifeWay uh, research, the top five reasons church dropouts say they stopped attending church, we're talking about young adults ages 23 to 30. I moved to college and stopped attending church. Church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical. I didn't feel connected to people in my church. I disagreed with the church's stance on political or social issues, or frankly, just work responsibilities. Scott McConnell, who was the executive director of this study, said this, most of the reasons young adults leave the church reflect shifting personal priorities and changes in their own habits. Even even when churches have faithfully communicated their beliefs through words and actions, not every teenager who attends embraces or prioritizes these beliefs. What the research tells us may be even more concerning for churches. There was nothing about the church experience or faith foundation of those teenagers that caused them to seek out a connection to a local church once they entered a new phase of life. The time they spent with activity in church was simply replaced 
by something else. The Bible. This faith, this person of Jesus, Jesus is not either true or it's not relevant to my life. And there are plenty of belief systems and ideas and activities and lifestyles around to replace the difficult teachings of Jesus to lay down your life for a friend or for an enemy, to become a servant to all, to live a life worthy of the calling of the good news, to give myself for the sake of others because, hey, pumpkin spice lattes and TikTok and fantasy football and career and Instagram reels, and weekend bar crawls are way more interesting and tantalizing than self-sacrifice. And so, those who grow up in the church or previously expressed faith, abandon it. And honestly, the pull of these things are very appealing when compared to walking the hard, ancient way. And it's easy for us to point fingers, you young whippersnappers. Seriously. TikTok? But... We have to look, the older generation has to look in the mirror. I think generally for the American church's posture on cultural issues have driven away young adults. I'm not talking about our position, our posture, whether it's about politics or vaccines or masks or abortion or sexual identity, the unyielding, angry, take what you can get at all costs, tone and tactics have driven young people away because they do not want to be associated with that posture. It's disheartening, and it grieves me. And unfortunately, it's not just young people walking away, but many Americans from all generations. But there is hope. I see it. There's a lot of hope, especially what I see. Because in this church in particular, I see momentum. I see a flame being lit in our young people here in this church, in our teens, in our young adults. It's in our small groups. I don't know if you see it, but I see it. Okay, I'm going to ask you. If you are 30 or younger, would you raise your hand? Look around. Look around. That's awesome. I'm seeing it in our youth groups. I am seeing it in our young adults that Derek and Megan, where are you guys? Raise your hands. Derek and Megan Calvert are leading on Thursday nights. Okay. My generation is getting older. The elders in this church, we're now all in our 40s. Mm. And the generation that mentored us I know, ooh, 40s. Listen, okay, listen. I remember when JR used to be able to hear well, okay? I remember when Jason Harris had brown hair. Heck, I remember when Dale Chavey had hair. My back used to work. So we're appointed and commissioned in this church to, pe- to pass on the good news of Jesus. We are trying to pass down this document full of letters and poetry and history and narrative down to the next generation. And it's been passed down from, for 6,000 years, from generation to generation, continent across continent. And we are commissioned to pass the baton down to the next generation. Then to raise you up as leaders to champion the church, to shine a light in the world, and then to train you 
those of you who are younger than us, train you to raise up the next generation of leaders. If I could boil everything down to pass on to you, it would be one thing. And today I want to give you one big idea. One thing that I want you to hang on to. And I know that when someone tells you, and when I was, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Corey, and I was, I was thinking about your kids. I don't know why, for, for whatever reason. When you get up in there and you say, I want you to remember one thing. Just remember this one thing, okay? And Caleb's like, uh-huh, I got this. One thing that I want you to remember. And when someone tells you something like that, like, for instance, a phone number or a piece of, you know, you, 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 you have a number. Okay, for instance, if you're in construction and you take a measurement and you have nothing to write it down and you're walking from here to the saw, what are you doing? 79 5 eighths, 79 5 eighths, 79 5 eighths, 79 5 eighths, 79. Hey, Jeff, shh. 79 5 eighths. It's the moment that you remember, remind yourself, this is the one big thing, okay? The one big thing. Now, I don't know if you know who this is. This is Scott Van Pelt, but on an ESPN, this is what he does at every show. At the end, he says, one big thing, the one thing that I want you to remember. When you are faced with an intellectual challenge regarding your faith, hang on to this idea. When you're doubting your faith, I want you to remember this. When you're having intellectual questions, when you're hurt by someone in the church, when you're faced with abandoning your faith because it doesn't seem relevant anymore, I want you to remember this one thing. Jesus rose from the dead. And I can imagine my seven-year-old right here saying to me, Dad, I already knowed that. I already knowed that. That's it. That's the whole big idea. But here's the thing. Everyone who ever walked away from the faith, everyone who left, who either abandoned it, they, they abandoned this fact. They forgot. And that is the thing that we elders, that the older generation is trying to pass on to you. If if you're younger than us. Here's an expanded version of that. Jesus died and was resurrected to save us and restore us to life. 2,000 years ago, a few years after Jesus' resurrection, there was a man named Saul who vehemently denied this fact. He even went so far as to murder anyone who believed this and spoke of it. And then he met Jesus, and his life radically changed, His name was changed to Paul, and he became convinced that this fact was true so much that he allowed himself to be tortured and brutalized, and many tried to murder him so that he would give up this heretical belief that Jesus rose from the dead and that he was God himself. And he went around the entire Mediterranean region telling people about this Jesus, and he gathered these little communities called churches, and they believed him, and he wrote letters to them encouraging them not to forget that Jesus rose from the dead and how we should model our lives after this Jesus. Okay, so I've talked a lot about you young people. I'm going to need two volunteers. The rest of you, I want... Oh, we got... Right here, right in the front. Okay, hold on one sec. Um, 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're going to go. And I don't need you guys to have it. What we're going to do is I'm going to give you this. I'm going to have these guys... Uh, so there's three of you, Okay. So I need you to do rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to do it? Okay, let's start. Johnny and Ander, go first. Okay, so Johnny, you're up here. 
Oh, you can just stay right there. What I want you to do is read this letter that Paul wrote. Come here. You can do it. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. You can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. One more screen. Okay. (laughs) Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after I was, after the, an apostle after the was I, (laughs) persecuted God's church. Good, okay. Rock, paper, scissors, go. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Give him a hand. Nice work. I just want to point something out here. Um, I'll read that again. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in this world. This Paul says the resurrection is the central claim of our faith. It is what makes you a Christian that you must believe that Jesus is no longer dead. He physically died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the grave. He appeared to hundreds. He ascended into heaven so that in order to save you from sin and death to reconciliation with God and eternal life. If that's false, if it's not true, if he didn't rise from the dead, we can't trust the teachings of the Bible. Our faith is worthless. There is no hope beyond this life. But if it's true, it changes everything. The death of Jesus and the empty tomb are historical facts. Is the sound on? Because we're going to watch a video. We need to be reminded 
of those things. We need to be reminded on, uh, of those facts. We need to know, we need to internalize them, have them inside of us, that there are very good reasons to believe that Jesus was resurrected and to believe that all those people who saw him after their death. Is there enough reason to have a hope worth acting upon? You have to decide that for yourself. I believe it. Did the resurrection actually occur, and is Jesus actually who he claimed to be? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, the gospel message, as Paul said, is pointless, empty, and dishonest. But if it actually happened, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? Christ's resurrection and his victory over death and despair not only broke the power of death for all who trust as Christ as Savior, but it also provides the means for us to receive everlasting life. We're all looking for meaning and relevance in our life. And humans will continue to do so. Social causes, money, sex, politics, distractions have all been used to give relevance and meaning to life. But I will tell you from life experience, as will everyone who here is older, all those things will come up short in the end. So what does Jesus' resurrection mean for me? I'm going to frame that in two questions. Why did Jesus have to die? And why did Jesus have to live? Let's look at the first one. Why did Jesus have to die? To break the power of sin and death over us. Because everybody dies, but it's Jesus' resurrection that makes him distinct from every other human being that ever ever lived. Sin results in death, and sin is living contrary to God's purposes. Every human being that was born, has ever born, has been a sinner, will lead a sinful life and die. But Jesus, contrary to that, was the sinless one, and his death would be the price paid so that my sin would be forgiven. But his death would have only been a death, a death that could not conquer him, and he was resurrected to life, and he continues to live. And Paul said... If our faith is based on the truth and we believe that the Bible is true, then we will die, but we will not be conquered by death. And we too will live just like Jesus continued to live. Our death does not become our defeat, but it becomes the step to victory over death through his resurrection. And we too will live just like Jesus. So that's why Jesus had to die. But the second question is, why did he have to live? Did he live just to get us to his death? I kind of wondered that when I was a kid. So did he live just so that he could explain to us how how they were going to kill him? So like when he said, when when you figure out how I'm going to die, what he's really saying is, This is how you're going to live. They have to fit together. We all want the benefits of Jesus' life, of his death, but I'm not sure, sometimes myself too, or all of us, are fully bought into the concept, what it means to live as Jesus had to live, to live as he lived. And so why do you have to live? To show us how to live. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. 
Throughout my formative years, I had this super simplistic understanding of Jesus that if I believed in him as my personal savior, then I will know where I go when I die. If I can be a good boy, God will spare me from hell. Does anybody know what that is? That's Tom and Jerry. But I was formed quite a bit by all sorts of different cartoons growing up. So I found that cartoon actually yesterday, and I watched it with my kids, and we talked about it. And the concept of that particular Tom and Jerry uh, was Tom died because he was chasing the mouse, and he was torturing Jerry, and he goes to heaven, and he's going to get on the heavenly express, and the conductor, who is an angel, is going to let him on the, condu- on the heavenly express, and uh, he says, oh, I'm sorry, you've been torturing that mouse your whole life. You can get to heaven if you do something. That is, sign this document that's from Jerry Mouse that says, I forgive you. Okay? Now, he goes throughout the the process, and in the end, he was unable to get him to sign the document, and he falls into this big, big vat of boiling water in hell, and the devil dog tortures him. And Sylvester the cat also goes to hell. What is it with cats in hell? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Um, There's the devil up there in Looney Tunes. There is Tom going up to the escalator into heaven. Now, I know, and you know, that that's not really the concept of heaven and hell. But when you're eight, and you're watching those things, and then you come to church, and you're sitting there, and you're listening to actually how heaven is and what hell is, you're visualizing in your mind what that actually looks like. And my imagination of heaven and hell was completely colored by a few animators from MGM, Warner Brothers and Disney sitting in a windowless room in L.A. Rather than what, how God revealed about himself. If I spend the rest of my life being a good boy and not disappoint him, he wasn't going to turn his back on me, and I had better do everything in my power to be careful to not disappoint him and get to the end of my life without making too many mistakes so I can go up the elevator into heaven or excuse me, the escalator into heaven. But I have come to understand that God's story in my life is way bigger than that. The message of the gospel at its heart is that Jesus came to die for us, but it was more than that. It was because he died for us. The disciples believed that we're going to give ourselves in service to our communities that have needs. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to care for the lonely. We're going to invite the homeless and the communitylessness in. And we're going to love the unlovable. And it absolutely blew the Roman world away with its emphasis on class and wealth and status because it shone a light on this group of people who really cared about the hurting and the broken and the homeless, the communityless. Because at that time, everyone believed they were going to heaven to an afterlife of bliss. But if they did the right things and they worshiped the right way because that's what all the gods promised, 
this way of life. They were bringing, excuse me, but what made Christianity different, that as a follower of Christ, the shalom of Jesus, they were bringing the peace of Jesus into this world, wholeness and completeness and restoration into the chaos and disorder of this broken world, and that's how the kingdom of heaven extends into the world, not through political power, but through humility and love and service. And God is in the process of reclaiming all things, everything that he's ever created by replacing chaos with shalom. The focus is that Jesus' death and resurrection are bringing that into and bringing us life. And the gospel is now framed so that people can see just a taste of the shalom that Jesus intends to bring when he returns and restores humanity to him. The gospel, the story of life, death, and resurrection of Jesus becomes real when people, when we live out God's mission here on earth, knowing why he died. Now, I'm going to give you an insight into, um, like, behind the scenes here. I'm missing the last page of my notes, so I'm going to make it up at the end. All right, so you know how when, like, you are given something from, okay, I'm just, a, as a husband, from your wife. And, or, or maybe you're just, or maybe you're just thinking, you're thinking of this. You walk from one room to the next room. And you have one thing in mind that you want to do. Or you want to get. And so you go from this room and you walk into the other room and you say, why did I come into this room? You know you've been there. Or my wife is walking through the house and she's like, Jeff? Jeff? And she finds me in the storage room and I'm standing there looking at the shelves. And, I'm th- and she's like, what are you doing? I said, I know I will remember the thing that I came in here for. Just give me a minute. (laughs) If I could encourage you, if I could pass anything onto you, the three of you sitting here, okay, all you guys, if I could pass anything onto you to remember One thing, the one big thing. When you are struggling in your faith, when you are not sure anymore, when you meet someone, when you're watching a YouTube video and you go, maybe not, I don't know. When you're hurt by someone in the church, I want you to remember this one big thing. Jesus rose from the dead. Any experience that happens to you is never going to change this fact. It's never going to change it. Regardless of what you're experiencing, regardless of your circumstances, he always did this. And he was gone from the tomb. And what do you do with that? What do I do with that? Ladies and gentlemen, I implore you one big thing. Jesus rose from the dead. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Lord, 
I am so grateful to have this opportunity to speak your words and your kindness to us and through us, to give us your words of wisdom. Lord, I pray, especially for the younger generation, that they would have eyes to see and ears to hear and remember that you came, you sent your son to this earth, that you died and you you rose again, and that we have eternal life. We can live through you. God, thank you so much for your many blessings, and I pray a blessing over everyone here in this congregation. I pray that they would have a great week. I pray that you would encourage them, that you would embolden them in all that they do and they say. And would you pour your spirit into my friends and my family here at Mount Helena Community Church. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.